0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, food lost and waste has become a global problem. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization, wasted food costs the global economy around $2.6 trillion US each year. Now, nearly 60% of food produced in Canada is lost or wasted annually. And that produces around 56 million tons of carbon dioxide. Food that ends up in landfills creates methanes, and that's a powerful greenhouse gas. It's about 25 times more damaging than carbon dioxide to our environment. In addition to the environmental concerns, it's estimated that over 1.4 million Canadian kids don't have access to healthy foods. Now, if we were to take a few simple steps to prevent food loss from the production to the procurement to the storage and the consumption stages, it's estimated that there's more than enough food that could be rescued to ensure that all the children in Canada have the foods that they need to be healthy. Now, in addition to steps we can all take at home to prevent overbuying, improper storage and waste, there's actually 125,000 businesses in our country that are potential donors of surplus edible food. This week we welcome Andrew Williams. He's from Newfoundland and Labrador's Food Rescue Operations and is the Program Director of Second Harvest. We learn more about his new initiative in the province that makes it easy for businesses to donate food surpluses to community organizations. And this ensures that food isn't wasted and that nutritious food makes its way to people who need it. Let's get to our conversation and learn more about Second Harvest here in our province. Hey Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey Mike, thanks for having me. No problem. We're uh, having a special two-part series here on food security in our province, and I know that you're heavily involved with this. Can you tell us about the organization you work with called Second Harvest and what your role is here in the province?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Second Harvest is still a pretty new name in this part of the country. Uh, we are a national charity, and we operate uh, Canada's largest food rescue organization. So we have a, waste of, a vision of no waste, no hunger, And we basically work with businesses to identify surplus food that's currently being wasted. And we make that food available to nonprofit and food service providers in the immediate area. We've basically been operating in Newfoundland since 2020 as a response to COVID. And we're just trying to help grow the food recovery network in the province and help local businesses do better for their communities and their environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it helps a lot of people too. Now, you got to excuse me for being a little bit, you know, oblivious when it comes to this, but like, how do you guys define food waste?
1: That's a great question, actually. And it's one that's not asked enough, in my opinion. But uh, basically, in conversations we have around the food value chain, uh, there's two terms uh, food loss and food waste that are very closely related, but they have slightly different distinct meanings. Uh, When we talk about food loss, basically what we're talking about is uh, the discarding of food that happens from production to processing. So this includes edible foods that uh, for whatever reason, don't meet customer specifications or orders from customers that are changed and canceled. Uh, Waste, however, is what we refer to uh, with the discarding of food during distribution and marketing. Uh, so that would be through either retail or food service or even the home. So that would be the, the apples say that make it to the grocery store, but aren't sold or the milk that's best before tomorrow. So unfortunately uh, as it stands right now, these items will find their way to landfill. Right.
0: Yeah. I remember stumbling upon a container one time I went to the dump and I was just getting rid of some garbage. and I looked in and the whole thing was full of like produce, which, which didn't look that bad. And I'm sure it was, You know, just barely expired, and so that's got to be a big problem. Is is it a big problem? Like, are we throwing away a ton of food?
1: A ton, I think, is uh, is an understatement. Uh, The problem is almost beyond reckoning in our brains. The problem is massive. Uh, Just to kind of put some numbers on it, in 2019, uh, Second Harvest partnered with a, a group called Value Chain Management International to research and publish a report that was called The Avoidable Crisis of Food Waste. Uh, This is all available online. There's a a, a roadmap as well as a full technical report on secondharvest.ca. But the findings of the report basically were shocking. Uh, They showed that 58% of all the food produced in Canada is either lost or wasted. So that's more than half of all the food produced in Canada is not even making it to people's homes. Now, some of that, I have to add the caveat, not all of that is edible food. Uh, There are some great, uh, we say, byproduct first companies that are sprouting up everywhere, even here at home, that are tackling the inedible byproducts. But still, even after all that, that's 11.2 million metric tons. Again, a number almost beyond reasoning. 11.2 million metric tons of food sent to landfill in Canada every year. So the, the scope of the problem, like I say, is just astronomical.
0: Wow, that's that's a lot. And I, so you've sort of indicated like a couple of w- places where this food system supply can kind of lose, lose food in the process. So what levels do, does this loss generally occur at?
1: It really happens at all levels, uh, whether that's production. Uh, there's all sorts of issues that arise. Uh, we saw lots of examples in Canada this year where crops were, uh, planted and raised. And then unfortunately, whether the the customers backed out or for whatever travel restrictions, there's all these crops that didn't even make it out of the ground. Right. And then there's other uh, food items that will be put on trucks and maybe they won't make it to their destination in time to be sold. And then there's again at the store, the retail level, the, the same problem where items aren't being sold and right down to the, to the, Nonprofits who are who are doing what they can. Sometimes even food is being lost or wasted there because we can't store it or manage it safely. So it's it's really a problem that you can find at every level of the food value chain.
0: Hmm. Okay, yeah. So I think about the retail level, for example. Let's talk about some labels that we see on foods because I think there is some confusion around this. Like that like we see best before dates and we see packaging dates, we ex- expiration dates, and sell by dates, and like the save fifty percent. Buy, buy it today or whatever. So what does best before actually mean? And does it have anything to do with the safety of the food?
1: That is an excellent question. And it really speaks to the larger problem, I think, because it is largely perceptual. Uh, we were conditioned to think that if it's best before today, the the unstated implication of that, it's bad after today, mm. right? but that in no way, shape or form is true. Um, best before dates uh, are not actually regulated. They're, they're basically just put in place by manufacturers and producers as a way of preserving the perceived quality of their food. And you know, they can't be faulted for that. It, it, they're simply saying this product would be best consumed before this date, right? But I think we really do need to change the way we, uh, we think about that date, because as I mentioned before, Best before does not mean bad after. Mm. And it might be worth uh, just talking into the uh, the expiry dates as well, because yeah. we don't mean to imply that food doesn't go bad. Of course, uh, you know, perishable foods will perish, but um, expiry dates are not best before dates. So expiry dates basically only apply to five food categories in Canada, and they're very strictly monitored Um like liquid uh, food diets, uh, prescribed diets, baby formula, foods that have really strict nutritional and compositional requirements that the the quantities of those uh, ingredients can't be guaranteed at their levels after a certain date. Mm -hmm. So that's the subtle distinction between an expiry date and best before. So there's there's this real perceptual issue that we need to address, I think, when uh, consumers are looking at these best before dates.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, you look at something as funny as it is like sour cream, which is probably already fermented and, and it's got an expiry or a best before date and you're like, can't have it after that, but it's already, you know, a culture of some sort. So but you guys help educate people, right? So Second Harvest has training and education, you know, uh, programs like meal donation for nonprofits. Run me through the different things you guys do. Let's just, but we'll start with the thing that we're missing. It sounds like, which is that education.
1: Right, and it's, it's a big piece, uh, but it's, it's a relatively simple one as well. But it does require a little bit of uh, onus on individuals, uh, groups like Second Harvest. We have lots of free uh, resources out there, basically um, one pagers, info sheets on, you know, safe food handling and temperature requirements and storage requirements. And all sorts of uh, donation and consumption diet timelines based on food category and uh, storage temperature. Uh, because as some of us know, and we're trying to get all of us to know, some items, if they're, for example, frozen, can be safely consumed up to weeks, even months after they're posted best before date. Mm-hmm. But again, each food category is different and it does require a little bit of uh, investigation on the part of individuals. But as I mentioned, there's lots of free resources. Uh, we also have e-learning and uh, online learning courses that are available with food handling certification. So there's, uh, there's lots of information out there and we're just trying to make it available to the people.
0: Well, that's Andrew Williams from Second Harvest. We'll be right back after the break as we learn more about food rescue and food waste here in our province. Welcome back. We're here with Andrew Williams from Second Harvest learning about their food rescue efforts here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Let's check it out. But you guys are also making a real tangible difference when it comes to the food rescue project. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so the food rescue program is basically why we're talking. Um, up until COVID, uh, Second Harvest basically operated in Ontario with plans to expand nationally uh, over the next few years. And then COVID hit and the wonderful people at Second Harvest rolled out their Second Harvest app nationally in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's basically the, the crux of our food rescue program. Um, oftentimes people mistake us for a food bank, especially outside of Ontario. Uh, Ontario has a lot of uh, infrastructure that uh, we have yet to grow outside of Ontario, but mm-hmm. um, I often say we're more like a dating app than we are a food bank okay because as i mentioned uh, we have no buildings or trucks in the province but um, we do have our app and so the crux of that is it's a free tool it's available to businesses and non-for-profit uh, community food service providers whether food banks or meal programs and it's just a free tool to connect businesses who have surplus food with those meal providers so it uh it basically allows you to send notifications to everyone to let everyone know what type of food is available, when it can be picked up, and then it coordinates all the, uh, the rescues through there and tracks all the metrics and cool. helps people do better. So this is
0: like, uh, it could be a restaurant, it could be a grocery store, it could be anybody that provides food that says we're going to have extra food and it's going to go in the garbage if somebody, if somebody wants it though, they can have it before we, we discard it probably needlessly,
1: Right. Absolutely. And that's what it's for. And just to throw it out there as well, I'd like to say that I, I don't think I've spoke to anybody so far that already isn't donating. Like mm-hmm. the people in Newfoundland and Labrador are amazing and they just give whatever they can. So this app is really a tool to kind of help them do that. Uh, it lets you see who else is doing the food work. It lets you maybe find avenues for some surplus food that you're having a hard time donating or mm-hmm. and you still don't want to get rid of. So it's really a way of kind of opening up both um, the nonprofit world to the business side and vice versa.
0: So if uh, I was listening to this, I had a restaurant or I had a store, um, what would we would we consider to be surplus food?
1: Surplus is something that's, Really inevitable, I, I, I'm i an inventory man. I did industrial engineering technology. So logistics and inventory is something I find really interesting. Uh, so surplus is basically anything that you have that is not sold. Mm-hmm. And living in the province that we do, inventory is required. Um, in a perfectly lean system, a consumer would go to a store and would say, I would like a banana. And the banana would be grown. Instantly, and given to that person, no waste, no waiting, perfect. But in reality, that banana doesn't come from Newfoundland, and it takes some time to get here. And so anything that we bring in has to be brought brought in in enough quantity to allow for multiple days, sometimes weeks, of shopping without actually getting another shipment of that food. So the surplus that we see in Newfoundland is actually more than you would see in other places where we have to hold inventory for longer to allow for those longer lead times. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what happens then is we run into larger amounts of surplus. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. That makes perfect sense, especially when you see things like what happens if the ferries go down, for example, during a storm and and how how we do have to have that backup plan or else we don't have a means of getting food a lot of the time. And we talked recently about sustainable farming and how farming is trying to come back here in this province, which is probably a really good thing when it comes to us and, and food surplus. But what kind of businesses do you deal with? And our listeners own the business. How do they connect with you in order to get on this app?
1: Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's. It's pretty accessible. If you go on to secondharvest.ca, uh, there's a couple of Get Involved tabs, but uh, there's uh, there's a section where you can sign up for the app. As I mentioned, it is free. Uh, it takes a few minutes uh, to set it up, and once you're set up, it's uh, it's pretty autonomous as well. You can You can set up your organization however you like. If you happen to be in a small organization and just a couple of people, that's not a problem. If you happen to be a larger organization, it's uh, it's well set up to to manage larger multi-location accounts. And uh, if you have any questions and would like to talk about things before actually signing up and registering, uh, you can always reach me at andreww.secondharvest.ca. And I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone about uh, how we can identify some surplus and get it doing some good.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's important. And, you know, and I guess the other question is, you know, from a personal side of things, what personal responsibility can we have here or what can we do? And so we think about food waste at home. A lot of people waste a lot of food. What are the mistakes that we're making that are leading to this? Cause I think we're all guilty of it.
1: Well, as I mentioned before, there's something in the Newfoundlander mentality that we kind of need to stockpile, you know, because we have that. It's better to be prepared mentality which nobody can fault anyone for that. That's a, it's a great attitude, but really having a plan and knowing what you're buying, how long it's good for when it needs to be consumed by Uh uh, is a really great thing. And also making sure that the dates you're, you're holding yourself to in that regard are, are safety related and not perceived manufacturer quality related. Uh uh And so that can, uh, it can inform your purchasing uh, decisions as well. For example, if you know you buy some milk every week um, and you go to the store and there's a carton there with a best before of a week and there's one of a best before of two weeks, you know? You know your own habits. You know that milk is going to be gone in a week. So I know we all tend to to reach for the one with the longest best before date, but um, these are little subtle things just to be aware of and it can really uh, end up Making a difference in the end.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you see that all the time. People digging through the thing, that's seeing that one that's four days later, but you know it's going to be gone because you drink a lot of milk. So, okay, one more question. You said safety there. I think this is important too. Like, is there liability if you're donating food that's that's close to this sort of uh, you know this best before date and things like that? Like, what are, what do people that might want to donate or organizations have to be cognizant of when it comes to the safety of food?
1: Well, it, it's definitely something we take very seriously. There's um, some uh, food and safety requirements, obviously built into our terms and conditions. And they're basically the same ones that are built into the terms and conditions of operating any food business or nonprofit, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So safe food handling uh, is basically required, or health inspections required for anyone who's doing meal service um, or meal preparation anyway. And as long as you have that and donate food to a registered charity, There's actually legislation in not only this province, but every province and territory in Canada that explicitly um, absolves any liability from that organization who donates food in good faith. And the the real problem there, as I mentioned before, is perceived. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time faulting people for it, because generally what we found is if there's any gray area, people will err on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to donate food only to have that food make someone sick, Mm -hmm. which is why, again, we go back to the education piece uh, uh, a lot of times with donors just to, to make sure that they know that best before dates do not reflect what is safe to donate and consume.
0: That's, that's awesome. That's really good insights. I didn't know about these laws. I didn't really know uh, much about your program other than I thought it was extremely interesting and, and it seems to be solving a huge problem that we have here. Is there any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with so we wind down here?
1: I'd just like people to to really stop and uh, have a look at how they view food in their home, how they buy it. and if you happen to be a food business, uh, I'd just like people to recognize that, it doesn't take a lot of effort to make a huge impact. The food that we see coming through the app is not always huge numbers. We're talking five pounds, 10 pounds of food, but the impact that has with the people who receive it is just invaluable. So the solution to food insecurity in Newfoundland is Newfoundlanders helping Newfoundlanders. And Second Harvest is here to help the helpers is the way i say it i like to think we're almost a food bank for food banks so if there's anything you can do in your personal life or you feel like volunteering with a charity in your area i know we could all use the help and if you're a food business there's free tools available and we can all work together to make this a more food secure province moving forward
0: that's awesome and if people are listening and they do want to get a hold of you directly how can they reach you again
1: you can reach me at W at secondharvest.ca and all this information and more is available online at secondharvest.ca.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing this important message. It's great to see you again.
1: It was my pleasure and thank you for covering this topic. It's a very important one.
0: Well, that was Andrew Williams from Second Harvest. When we come back, we'll chat with Jane White, co-founder and project director of Loop Resources. He'll tell us about how they help close the loop on organic waste disposal in the food supply industry. They divert these unsalable foods away from the landfill and give them to farms that can be used for feed for their animals and for compost. Stick around, because we'll be right back. Welcome back. We're here with Jane White from Loop Resources. He's co-founder and project director, and he's telling us how they help close the loop on organic waste disposal of the food supply industry and give it to firms to be used as feed and for compost. Let's check it out.
2: Hi, Jane. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having us.
0: Oh, I'm excited to chat with you today. We're, you're calling me all the way from across the country, so from one coast to the other. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a background on Loop Resources and how it all began?
2: absolutely um and i could chat about that all day so try and keep it to the main points um (laughs) my wife and i live in dawson creek bc uh, on the other side of the country from you and we started getting more passionate about how we fed ourselves and how we take care of our family and we also started getting kind of jealous of our time and so in our pursuit to spend more time together as a family we made the decision to quit our regular uh, energy sector job start raising more food locally um And the biggest hole in our budget was uh, meats and dairies and, and basically the proteins. So we can grow veg real well. We can get grains at low cost local to us. Uh, That resulted in some chickens for eggs, some goats for milk and cheese and some pigs Uh, turns out pigs eat a lot. And then we were looking for ways to raise those animals more sustainably. And we went to a grocery store because we noticed they throw food out sometimes. Hey guys, love to have the food you can't sell. Uh, Is there a way that we can take it for our farm? And they said, uh, we would we like your passion and we want to say yes, but we have to say no. And that was the beginning of Lou, Um, because no wasn't a very good answer. And uh, so we kind of talked to them several times. And he said, in the end. He said, let's go to my office. I will tell you why we can't do this. Yeah, And he laid out the seven major failures they had experienced previously, uh, whether it was a reliable, reliability thing, uh, liability thing, um, uh, food safety thing, there was a bunch of issues. And but I'm from I'm from the oil and gas energy sector. issues like liability and insurance is just our, it, it, you have to have that for a coffee like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So we built yeah. a structure that ensures the ensures the store guarantees service has litigatable penalties if things go wrong, and has an insurance blanket over it. And then the lawyers of the stores were happy. Um, mm. We thought that would be the end of the story, and it. It kind of wasn't. Every town beside the town we were in had the same problem. Food was going in the garbage. And so we cloned ourselves to the towns north and east of us. And then uh, another brand got a hold of us. They took us to around 100 locations. We now work nationally in every province and territory except uh, Quebec and New Brunswick at the moment.
0: Wow, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I came from an oil and gas background too. Mitigating risk, there's an inherent risk to everything we do in life. How do we oh, control yeah. that risk? So that's, yep. that's good to be able to apply that from that sector. That's, that's fantastic. So you guys started in 2014, so it's been a while. You're now in every single province and you work here in Newfoundland and Labrador as well.
2: We do yeah we are proud partners of dominion grocers in Newfoundland every dominion grocery is working with loop to divert 100% of their unsaleable and undonatable food to local farms. Um, This is a big win for food security and sustainability on the rock like you need to grow your own food and it's hard when there's no soil. And so there's there's a couple of challenges in building soil and loop helps both provide the animals and the manure to kickstart some soil biology and also there's some cardboard boxes involved that make great sheet mulch and a great bed for starting a, a no till or a compost style garden so huh. a couple of wins out there and it's been neat to watch uh we we love newfoundland i mean the people are fantastic their energy is infectious uh we're excited to be there it's been a fun process I, the only downer is we had to do it mostly by zoom uh, and i really really wanted to do this one in person <laughs> well that's great you're welcome anytime you
0: want we we got a, a strong tie with people that live next to the ocean and regardless of which ocean that is they all exactly. sort of share the same same perspective
2: all, on this yeah all salt is in your blood somewhere
0: yeah. And you said it's a good point. We've had some uh, uh, some topics on food sustainability and uh, sustainable farming. And a lot of that occurs like sort of the second half, like the west side of the island, because we have a lot of rock in the Avalon Peninsula. So that's, that's mm-hmm. really interesting to hear that. We've been hearing that come up a lot. Now, you guys see a role in, in solving this food waste problem. So run me through what type of foods you get. How does it work? Like, how does it get in the hands of the people that need it? Because that's kind of an interesting concept.
2: Yeah, so we we love simple solutions uh, and and food waste is is kind of a dumb problem. So we we like to think of ourselves as a fairly simple solution to a fairly stupid problem, which is we have too much food in our communities that we can't find a home for. So we're going to pay someone to throw it in the garbage. Um, we can do better than that. Uh, the reality at the grocery store level is that they are busy. They are selling food at very low margins. Um, we complain about rising costs at the grocery store but they work hard to keep it affordable for us as a community they don't have the energy and the labor to go build these solutions Um, but we as a farm community or as a community at large are usually pretty passionate about it and we can work together on a on a solution that includes various partners to make sure that it works so We The stores donate to the charities that are in their community. They give them all the things that they can use. We take the rest. We are a backstop to that solution because the stores need a 100% solution for all the food, Mm -hmm. no ifs, ands, or buts. And so we get mostly produce and breads. We also get meats. We also get dairies. We also get frozen foods. Um, We get it when the quality is not good, when the truck broke down, or when the ferries were delayed and things died in transit. Um, We can give those things a good home, even though they're not really good for people anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as to what we get, if you walk around a grocery store, have a look, chances are we've got it before. Um, we mostly get fruits and vegetables and basically the, the perishable items they call them that are on the perimeter of the store. Um, but we do get customer damaged stuff. We get customer returned items. We get uh, somebody drives a shopping cart into a bag of rolled oats and it spills on the floor well. That's not safe for people anymore, but if you sweep it up, it's going to make some happy chickens and happy chickens (laughs) eating rolled oats, make beautiful eggs. Uh, That's a win, right? Um, Uh, That's how we approach the thing. There's a solution to every problem. Every problem probably has a simple solution and we aim to make it low labor and high efficacy. So our conversion rates are around 98% above compost. So if you give us something, there's a 98% chance it's going to turn into animal feed on the farm. There's a 2% chance it's going to turn into compost on the farm. So our worst case scenario is usually the best case scenario in these big city compost environments. Um, the reality is compost is environmentally damaging as well, unless you do it in vessel and harvest the methanes, you're still releasing the same amount of gas because compost is primarily a thermogenic process. It's producing heat, 80% of the calories in that food that you compost don't end up in the soil. They end up going away as heat energy or as as lost methane. Um, so compost is a great reduction technology and it leaves you with soil, which is, you know, kind of a win. But it's not as good as turning it into eggs or milk or bacon local to you, especially if you're in a community where you need to truck stuff in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it takes so much energy to produce food, in particular, you know, proteins and, and from animal sources. Now, you've said a few times uh, of some of the challenges you face. So you guys like to problem solve. You you dealt with uh, sort of municipality kind of level challenges. You dealt with uh, the food provider challenges. What are some other of the challenges you face? Because if you've gone
2: across the country, undoubtedly, you've seen a lot of stuff. We, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's it's kind of just, a daily process uh, of running into new obstacles you've never seen before. And probably a great analog for life. I think that's probably what life is about is just bashing your head against new problems and learning to overcome them. Um, We work closely with many branches of government whether it's the feed safety and security guys at uh, the Agriculture Canada Canadian Food Inspections Agency team to align all of our policies and processes to them. We work closely with food safety and liability. Um, I like to joke that Loop has many faces and when i'm talking to you as a farmer i am a farmer i mean i have a farm and i can i can speak the language you don't need to know about my lawyer face or my grocery store face or my federal food policy or uh, food security face because everyone has their own language and vernacular and when i'm talking to lawyers we tend to use a lot of lawyer words when we're talking to farms we tend to talk a lot about farm stuff and yeah. so the challenge maybe is just in keeping those faces separate um Mm. we want it to be a simple solution it is a simple solution don't throw it out go to highest and best use the best thing you can do is feed people the second best thing you can do is produce food for people yeah and the worst thing you can do is not think about it and just throw it away
0: And, and that seems to be the problem you're solving which should be people should be jumping at it but again they're just not used to solving it so there's five steps to waste reduction is that right
2: yeah, so we, we talk through a multi-tiered approach to yeah. waste reduction, um, where the first goal is, is, is to not waste it. I mean, <laughs> if you can find a way to sell it or build your processes, order better, um, that's going to result in uh, just no food waste to begin with. So Occam's razor dictates, let's sell it all. Um, that's not realistic. Customers damage stuff mistakes happen human beings are involved uh, and so mistakes are going to happen and the next step is to uh, ensure that you sell it well Uh, if you can't sell it to donate it to charities if you can't donate it to charities give it to farms for feed that is the next most ethical thing we also break that down into animals that feed people nutritionally and animals that provide support or care Um, those are micro tiers of the same sort of topic and then once you have passed through animal feed you should then look at bioenergy production or the harvesting of energy from that system and finally into compost Um, the worst thing you can do is garbage nothing should be in the garbage there's no food that belongs in the garbage Um, we have good homes for this and we know what to do Um, the the message that loop has for grocery stores really is if you are paying to throw this stuff in the garbage it's probably cheaper to help us buy the insurance your lawyers want, we can do this cheaper than garbage in your community. Yeah, yeah. We can support local food. We can do it at no risk to you. And we can do it at lower labor cost where your employees love working with it instead of yeah. dread throwing stuff out. And we tend to decrease waste in the stores that we work in, huh. um, which because they can see it every day. When you go to back to the loop load, and your whole store is bringing everything they couldn't sell today, it gives you an opportunity for uh, optics, and it gives you an opportunity for a conversation. You know, I'm seeing this one product a lot. Is there a way we can order better? Is there a way we can display it better as a way we can handle it better so that we're not having these daily losses yeah. uh, and we've had stores bring their waste down uh in fairly extreme cases up to 50 percent reduction just oh, through God. awareness of that this was going out yeah. um and that's awesome like we as a farm program we grow food so people will eat it uh, yeah Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't grow food so that it can be sold and I can make some money and then it can be thrown out. I I want people to eat the stuff that I grow. And if you sell it all, if you find a super efficient system as a grocery store, we will cheer you on because that's great for farms. It's great for communities. We'll all go back to farming like we did in the first place. But as long as there's food waste, we'd like to be involved in the solution. Uh, and especially where we can have a win-win outcome. It's better for the environment, better for the community, better for farms. It's better for your store staff. It's cheaper than garbage. It's safe. That's the real takeaway that we we keep talking to people about is it doesn't have to cost you more to be environmentally smart. It doesn't have to cost you more to do the right thing. In fact, we think people should be rewarded for doing the right thing. And this is a really tangible wraparound Example of that. I'd like to see more businesses built around this concept. That there, there is win-win-win structures where yeah. uh, where we can do the right thing, feel good about it, and be more profitable because of it. That's Jane White from Loop
0: Resources talking all about reducing our food waste. We'll be right back after the break. We're here with Jane White from Loop Resources. He's sharing how his organization closes the loop on organic waste disposal from the food supply industry and provides it to farmers to use as animal feed and compost, overall reducing the food waste that ends up in the landfill. Let's check it out. Farmers have uh, a variety of different types of livestock. Like, How do you ensure that the food is safe for the animals, first of all, and that they're getting what they need and then what types of foods are sent to what farms? Because it sounds like you're really helping the providers, like the food provider companies, like reduce their cost and be more efficient. But how do you uh, sort of work with the farm side of things as
2: well? farm, the farm side is one we're really passionate about, obviously, coming from there. Um, The first step is to look at the quality. So this is food that was meant for human beings. So we are easily one order of magnitude more safe and more rigorously inspected than anything that would have gone for feed previously. Um, and now we're missing the bar. So we're, we're undershooting the bar by a small percentage because we're intercepting it at the retail level. So in terms of quality, we're pretty confident in that. And then suitability is the next question that you raised. How do we make sure the right animals get the right things? Mm-hmm. And um, that's a multi-tiered process. We match make a lot of our loads so that uh, certain sizes of farms with certain compositions of animals are assigned certain loads out of different locations Um, when we have big overages that becomes really obvious if we have a truck turnover and it's got you know 35,000 pounds of pumpkins on it we need to send it to a farm that's capable of using a lot of pumpkins Um, if we send it to a cat rescue uh, probably inappropriate match right (laughs)
0: Um,
2: but if we have a store whose seafood case went down and we've got some octopus and some scallops and some you know sculpin that's going to go bad uh, that cat rescue might be the most appropriate place to send it. Ah. Uh, so, so we we run a matchmaking system behind. We also do an awful lot of education and conversation with our farms. Like yeah. these are the rules the government has for you. A lot of the smaller producers haven't come across those before. They've just traditionally homesteaded or traditionally farmed and grandpa taught them how it was done. And grandpa has great tips. And we have also added to those uh, through better understanding of biosecurity, better understanding of pathogen risk and, and animal welfare. Um, so we want to take what grandpa did on your farm and we want to plus that with some knowledge, um, loop behind the scenes is a lot about education, both at the store level, um, educating them on how to handle this so that we can get good feed out of it, educating them on how to not throw it out, like how to mine your store's data for information. Um, because at the end of the day, we're collecting data from every department out of every store in every region we function in, and we know where the high flyers are. And we can go back to your brand office and say, hey, you want to talk to this guy because he's really managing his produce waste well for a 95,000 square foot store Mm. with this sort of population base. Um, He is well under like 30, 40 percent under the average nationally for what we see. So we've gotten to the point where our size is another asset because we just have so many data points to analyze Um, when it's supporting farms or whether it's supporting stores, we try and take a holistic approach. We don't charge more for all this information. We just, we want to exist. And the fact that we couldn't do it as a, as a charity means we get to do it as a socially conscious business and uh, being in business to affect change is great because we have no shareholders that are looking for bonuses nobody's chomping at the bit to can we afford to do this yes is it the right thing to do also yes perfect that's exactly how our board meetings go there's nobody nobody telling us to do anything else that
0: that is so interesting i can see your industry experience kicking in here with the metrics and the measurements and and having that quality control that's really really important um You know, Hmm. what's your vision for the future right here? Because I don't think we're going to run out of food waste. I mean, anytime soon, hopefully we will. But what's your vision for the future uh, for for Loop and and yourself,
2: really? Well, I guess I'll answer the second one first. Um, I want to grow old in a country that has a local food economy. I want to eat local produce that I can't get anywhere else. I want to come to your hometown and I want to find something that you guys grow there that you just grow there. Nobody else has it. Um, I think we've grown very quickly as a country. We've, co- you know, we've colonized and expanded through huge swaths of territory. And we we have a f- somewhat homogenous agriculture sector. And, and, and it's, they're great. They're very efficient. We have many good friends in the egg business, whether it's beef or grain or uh, poultry or eggs. And. Um, And now there's also space for these small local producers, you know, uh, whether it's a market garden or a a CSA box or uh, just somebody doing some jam that they pick from berries that grow here. Um, Food that's grown close to you has a story and it has a connection to you that goes beyond the flavor and the nutrition. Um, If we're really fixated on just nutritionally perfect food, we're all going to end up drinking like Soylent Green, like we want, you know, it's going to be a perfectly designed product to perfectly meet your needs. And it's going to be amorphous and boring and featureless and, um, I want my eggs with a story from somebody I know, and I want my jam from someone I know. Uh, So the future of food, I think, is a marriage of these large and small operators, uh, local and multinational growers, uh, so that we can feed people healthy food all the time. Uh, But we can do this in an environmentally conscious way. The future of Loop, I'm not sure. Like we are, as an organization, we exist to not exist. Uh, We hope one day this is so common sense that everyone just does it. Um, As long as you have litigatable concerns and lawyers and so, uh, yeah, we're happy to play. Um, We want to go wherever people being a needed solution. Um, So that's kind of what stretched us to where we are. Um, We think we are the most robust and the lowest cost um, easily interfaced option for local community farms and local grocers because we work hard to integrate ourselves with what's already happening. We don't reinvent the wheel. We're not coming in with billion dollar biodigestion projects and yeah. massive massive numbers of hires. And we're not outsourcing to India or China. You know, It's local people that are working with Loop to organize this in a sustainable way that can self-fund in perpetuity. We're not constrained by government grants. We're not constrained by uh, mandates. Are, does this meaningfully impact small local farms? Does this meaningfully impact the environment, yeah. and can we afford to do this again next year? Those are our three-step process for success. I
0: love that. I love that. And, and you know, and you've also navigated all the different uh, landscapes as well, which adds a huge amount of uh, you know uh, effectiveness to everything you do because you've been able to work all across the country. So, any any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with that are like kind of like think this is a great idea, or want to get involved, or want to learn more about it.
2: For sure. Uh, there's kind of three people that I like to speak to. Um, if you're a small farm or would like to be a small farm and would like to offset your cost of feed, sign up. It's it's a simple process. We have uh, anywhere there's a Dominion Grocery, we have partners. Um, if you work in a grocery store and are interested in this, we would like to talk with you. There's really no pressure to, we're not very monopolistic in how we view the world, but we'd like to let you learn from us. And if you'd like to work with us, we're happy to do that too. And then finally, for people who are kind of bumping up against weird problems, if there's something that bothers you uh, don't be afraid to try and fix it, like stick your nose in there. And when they sit you down and say, we'd love to say yes, but the answer is no, that's when the fun starts. Okay. That's not the end of the conversation. That's when you start, tell me more, write these things down. Let's, let's really digest these problems that you see because most of life is not rocket science, Mm -hmm. you know, and even in rocket science, they're making leaps and bounds in what they do. I mean, they're landing the rockets again without them blowing up, which is pretty cool. Um, You can fix these problems. You can be a small local change in a tiny Northern BC town that seems to have the secret sauce that works well in many, many places. And we're not the only solution. Um, for now, we think we're the best. And if something better comes along, we will happily endorse them and go back to farming in the first place. But don't be afraid to be the person who brings change to your community. Um, I love it's important to have more people do this. Fewer people grumbling, more people taking action. That would be great.
0: That's great. And you know what? And I appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are, but it was great chatting with you today. I, I really appreciate you
2: coming on the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for the invitation, Mike, and the perseverance to navigate our awkward schedules. Uh, it's great <laughs> to be connected finally. Thank you to my guests for joining me today.
0: Like James said, sometimes big problems have simple solutions. So don't dig to the back of the freezer to find the milk container with the longest expiry date, especially when you're going to drink it in just a week. out your groceries so you don't throw half them out. It's going to save you time. It's going to save you money, which we could all use extra of these days. And if you're in need of food or you have food to give, then be sure to check out Second Harvest or Loop Resources. Now, this was the second part of a two-part special on our show on food security and food waste. And food security is critical to our own health and the health of our communities. I hope you now know more about the challenges we face here in Newfoundland and Labrador and that our guests help inspire you to take action if you think you can help. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.